the way, if you're visiting with us, we are so glad you're here today. Uh, we, because of the restrictions that we have and such, we don't uh, take up the offering like we normally do. So as you go out, if you're a member here or whatever, as you know, the baskets will be out there as you go out for tithes and offerings and such. If you want to look with me, we're going to be back in First Peter today for our time in the Word. First Peter chapter 1. Last week we began a message that I titled uh, Restitution Instead of Resolutions. And uh, maybe a better title would be Living Out of the Restoration that God's Given Us. Because I'm convinced that as Christians, if you truly are a child of God, you don't need something new. You don't need something fresh. One thing that the Apostle Peter said He said, I'm glad, I delight in stirring up your memory. Otherwise, I remind you, I tell you these same things again and again and again and again. How many of you know, you've been taught or you just know, maybe you're a teacher, you recognize that repetition is about the best thing you can do to truly learn. But if that's the fact, and it is, then we're in trouble if all we ever want is something brand new. So if we don't have time to go back and relearn the things that we aren't really practicing yet, can I ask you just a thing? You don't have to comment or raise your hand, but just, just think for a minute. Do you genuinely believe that if the body of Jesus Christ in the United States of America alone was genuinely doing everything that the Word had already told us to do, that our nation would necessarily be where we are right now? For, me, for one, I can speak for myself, I don't think we'd be anywhere near where we are. And I'm talking about morally. I'm talking about culturally. I'm not talking about politics here. I'm talking about morally and culturally. I do not believe we'd be anywhere close to where we are right now if everybody who said they're born-again Christians, that's a large percentage of people in this nation, if everybody who truly said that they're born-again Christians were already living in the truth of the Word of God, we would not be, we wouldn't even be close to where we are right now. So when we're not even living out of the truth that God's already given us, how in the world would we want something new? Why do you think we could digest something new when we can't even live out of what we already have? And I truly believe that we don't need anything new. You don't need a new revelation. You don't need, and I'm going to make, just hold on, pull your toes in. You don't need a fresh anointing. The Bible says you already have an anointing from the Holy One, and it resides within you. He didn't tell you to pray for a new one. He said, stir up the one that you already have. We as the people of God are waiting for something to come from outside when God, as if you are a child of God, has already planted everything that you need on the inside. The Apostle Peter said, everything you need pertaining to life and godliness, I have already given it to you. Well, how do I access it? The very next verse says, through these exceedingly great and precious promises, go back to the Word. Go back to the Word, and we'll begin to experience the life of God. So really, a better title for this message might better be the restoration of all things. We need it more than we do resolutions in this new year. So looking back at 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 3 just to pick up where we kind of left off last Sunday. The apostle said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's begotten us to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You and I, if you are a Christian, we have an inheritance. 
we have a treasure, and it's not here. Let me say that again. I know I harped on that last week. I'm going to do it again. Your tre- this is not home, child of God. It is not home. We are not, we are, yes, we're citizens of this nation, and I'm glad to be, but my real citizenship as a child of God is in heaven above. My true allegiance is to Jesus Christ. He is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. That doesn't mean there aren't any other kings or lords. And what do you do about them? Well, the Bible tells us exactly what to do about them. All throughout the New Testament, and I challenge you to find it in the New Testament where it doesn't say this. All throughout the New Testament, it says pray for those who are over you. It says honor those who are over you. And it even says obey those who are over you unless, there's one caveat he gives us, unless the rulers that are over us tell us to do something that would cause us to disobey the lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay? Why is that? Because even though there are other kings and other lords, Jesus is the king of all kings. And Jesus is the Lord of all lords. And he is the king and he is the Lord over our lives as believers. Our citizenship is in heaven and that's where our treasure is. That's where our inheritance is and it's incorruptible and it doesn't fade away. And there's nothing that anybody can do about it. It's kept in heaven for us. And the good news is, and this is where we closed last week in verse 5, you as a child of God, I as a child of God, we are kept. We are kept. And that word literally pictures um, it's a military term that pictures a sentry that stands guard to protect against the enemy. That's in the Greek what picture comes with that word. So we're kept. Otherwise, God sets a guard about us. We are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then we kind of closed out with this idea. If you've been born again, then you know what it is to feel free and to feel forgiven. As a matter of fact, if you've been born again and you've walked with God any length of time, you've experienced blessings, you've experienced answers to prayer, you've experienced the power of God. I I don't know about you, but literally when we prayed there in the midst of worship, it was literally, for me, I described it the best way I know how. It was almost like a cleaning for me. It was just like something just washed off of me, just such a peace that came. I've experienced those things over. Our God is good like that. But as good as it is, you've not seen anything yet. The best is still yet to come. Now, picking up in verse 6, in this, in what? Well, he's just been talking about this great salvation that we have. That is kept, we're kept by the power of God. This awesome salvation, this awesome gift, this awesome deliverance and forgiveness that we have. In this we greatly rejoice. Notice it doesn't just say we rejoice. It says we greatly rejoice. Though now, right now, for a little while, in this temporary moment, if need be, you have been grieved. That word grieved means distressed. You've been distressed by various, many different kinds of trials, troubles, tests. Now, I don't know where everybody has been and where all we drink from as far as the waters of teaching go. But no matter what you've been taught by whoever you've been taught, Jesus said, in this world, we will have tribulation, trouble. 
But then he said, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So as long as we're on this planet, we will have trouble of different kinds. The good news is, and I don't know if you caught this, they only last a little while. They're all temporary. (laughs) Every single one of them. (laughs) What we're going through, it's temporary. (laughs) It will come to pass. (laughs) It may be, you may be very distressed while you're in the middle of it. I'm not denying that. We go through some stuff, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's family, or or whether it's financial, whether it's in the workplace, or whether it's national, or whether it's political, or whatever the case may be. We all go through some things that distress us. Life is like that. And having faith and being a Christian and being a child of God, there's no place in the Bible where it tells you that that's going to go away when you come to Christ. As long as we're on this planet, there will be trouble. But we can rejoice. As a matter of fact, he said we greatly rejoice, even though right now we temporarily, from time to time, have to go through and be distressed by different trials. Well, why why should I rejoice when I'm going through tough stuff? I mean, that don't see it don't make sense. I don't know about you, but I don't usually just smile and laugh when things are tough. I, I, I start praying, yes, and that's a good thing, but my prayer is, God, let this end right now. Get me out of here. Get me out of this. Let it be over. And if it lasts very long, I get frustrated. I, I'm not, I don't have a high pain tolerance. And when I say high pain tolerance, I'm not just talking physical. I, I don't have a high trouble tolerance. When it comes to me, my wife will tell you real quick, I, I don't like it very much. But I'm 52 years old, and I've had a lot of it. Not as much as many of you. Everybody has different varying degrees at different times. But trouble isn't enjoyable. But yet he says, while you're in it. He's not talking about when you get out of it. He's saying, while you're in the middle of it, rejoice. And don't just rejoice, greatly Rejoice. Can I ask you a question? Please don't throw anything at me, but can I ask you a question? Where has that church been lately? Where's the body of Christ that when they're in the middle of trouble still lifts up a song of praise and celebration and peace and joy to the king who still sits on the throne of God? Where is that church? Where is the body of Christ whose hand is raised when everything in me feels like everything's falling apart but I recognize that yes, my salvation is what I rejoice in and it's kept in the heavens for me and it cannot be defiled and it is not corruptible and it will not fade away and in this, not in the world around me, Not in the happenings, not in the news, not in my family, not in my own life, but in this great, glorious, wonderful gift that God has given me. I will not just rejoice. (laughs) I'm going to greatly rejoice. Why? Because this suffering is temporary. It's only going to be for a little while. And then it's going to pass, and verse 7 tells you what really is important. Verse 7, the Apostle Peter says that the genuineness, the authenticity, the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I cannot tell you how many times over the course of 31 years of pastoring that I have heard evangelists and read teachers and heard myself and, and so many others talk about how, boy, we need a generation of Daniels. Bless God. We need Daniels. Woo, we need God to raise up some more Joshuas. Woo, hallelujah. We need God to raise up some Moseses in our generation. Bless God. We need some Davids who can slay the Goliaths. Well, you see, here's the thing. That all sounds wonderful, but let's just stop and think for a minute. If you're going to slay a giant, you're going to first have to face the giant. So that means there's got to be a giant. You can't be a David if, and, and slay a Goliath if there's not first a Goliath to slay. And if you're going to be a Daniel, I'm all for a generation of Daniels, but you do realize that, that what makes Daniel most famous, right? It's the lion's den. So if you want to, how are you even going to know you got a generation of Daniels if you're not ever going to be put in a lion's den? If you're not ever going to face the lion, how are you ever going to know you're a Daniel or not? And, and if we're going to have a Moses, that means we're going to have to sometimes have the enemy breathing down our backs and have the Red Sea in front of us and be faced with a situation that the only thing we can do is lift up our staff and cry out to God and see the salvation of the Lord. See, all of us want those great, powerful, high moments, but none of us want to face those moments when they come. We somehow want God to deliver us without ever having to see trouble, but yet we still want to claim that we're Daniels and Davids and Moseses and Joshuas. Listen, Joshua had to first march around Jericho for six days and then on the seventh day have marched around it seven times before the wall fell. He didn't just look at it and the wall fall. And I want you to understand that the whole time he marched around the wall, there were enemies that could have taken them out on any day on that wall had God not supernaturally protected them. So if you're not willing to face a battle, you cannot be a Joshua. If you're not willing to face a giant, you cannot be a David. If you're not willing to face the Red Sea at in his in his worst place and, and the enemy behind you, you cannot be a Moses. And if you're not willing to face the lion's den, you cannot be a Daniel. So, you know, we might ought to think about what we're saying, preaching, and praying because what I have experienced and what I've seen, and I've seen it in myself, is as much as we say those things, the minute we start thinking that we might even have to think about thinking about thinking about the lion's den, we want out. We want to gripe and complain and throw our heads and the hands up in the air as if everything's falling apart. The minute we hear a giant taunt, matter of fact, we hadn't even heard him yet. We've just heard somebody that said that they heard him. Hadn't even happened yet. We just heard that it might. And we're ready to go run for cover. We're not going to be Davids like that. But I've got good news for you. <laughs> now you're really going to love me. God never called you to be Joshua, Moses, Daniel, or David. He already had those. He called you to be you. And he called me to be me. And the hero of the story has never been David, Moses, Joshua, or Daniel. The hero of the story has always been Jesus. And Jesus is still the king. And Jesus is still on the throne. And Jesus still rules and he reigns. And Jesus still knows everything that's happening around us. And what is important is your faith. And I'm not talking about what you're saying and believing to receive. That is a level of faith, but that's not the faith that he's talking about. He's talking about the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. He's talking about the faith that trusts in the finished work of Jesus Christ for your forgiveness and your deliverance and your wholeness and your right position with God. That is more precious than gold. 
even though it's tested in the fire. God says his desire is that that faith would come out shining to the praise and the honor and the glory of Jesus. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. Do you know the showdown between Moses and, 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 and Pharaoh and all the plagues that came? If you study into that, you realize that the Egyptians worshipped certain gods. And in every plague, it was aimed at one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And in every plague that came upon Egypt, the God, the one true God that the Hebrews worshipped, proved superior to the gods that the Egyptians or the world worshipped. You know what God was doing? In showing His glory, He was showing the known world that He and He alone is God. Do you know what all this stuff is about? You see, God is allowing you whenever, whenever we're in whatever we're in. God did not put you there to see you fail. You say, well, God didn't put me there at all. Well, He probably didn't. Sometimes we put ourselves there, don't we? How many of you more times than you want to admit you got yourself into the mess that you're praying for God to get you out of? And aren't you glad God does get us out of messes we get ourselves into? And sometimes we're there because it is an attack of the enemy, because it's just a direct attack from, from the enemy himself. But some, in all of those cases, God allows us to be in those. How many of you believe in the sovereignty of God? It's one of the fundamental doctrines of Christianity. So we're allowed to be in that place, and God didn't allow you to be in that place so he could see you fail. God didn't allow you to be in that place so he could see you fall apart. God didn't allow you to be in that place so he could see you lift your hands up to the sky and say, I quit. God didn't allow you in that place so he could see you be defeated. God allowed you in that place so that you would recognize that this word that I say I believe is really true and that God really has given me everything that I need to be an overcomer. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 8 says, I am not just a conqueror, I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. But let's put it in context. He, right before he said that, he said, we're counted as sheep all day long, led to the slaughter. And he said, we go through all kinds of peril and all kinds of danger, yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. What happened? Do you know that history tells us that in Rome, when Christians would go into the Colosseum and they were so brutally and horribly devoured by the beast or by the gladiators there for sport, that one of the things that brought about a change in the world was how those Christians would die with dignity and nobility, praising God, in the, even when they were burned at the stake, praising God in the midst of it, not falling apart, not denouncing their faith, but praising God and how they loved. What matter of fact, history tells us that Christians who would see other Christians, how much they loved one another, even in the midst of dying, how they loved one another. And that is what eventually changed the world over time. It wasn't living in comfort and ease and convenience. <laughs> it was living in the middle of persecution, but living this faith. And he says that this genuineness, he doesn't want a faith that we just talk about, sing about, shout about, read about, <laughs> post about. He wants a faith that we live. He wants his faith to be authentic. He wants his faith to be real. 
Can I tell you how much you can tell your faith is real? God gave us an indicator. He said, by the way you love one another. And Jesus went a little further. He said, I want you to even love your enemies. Matter of fact, Jesus said, if all you do is do good for people that you like and that you agree with and do good for you, what difference is that than somebody who doesn't even know me? He said, I want you to be good and do good and love and forgive and bless those who spitefully persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. Do you know what one of the best gauges and indicators is of your love for God and your faith in Christ and where you are? How much do you love the person you can't stand the most? How much are you praying for God's hand to move, not to destroy them, but to change them? You see, this fire that you may feel like you're in, and listen, some of you, some people are listening to, to the news and they say, you know what, I don't even have time to think about the news. I got so much stuff going on that's got me troubled. It has nothing to do with that. And I've had it going on for years. And I don't know what I'm going to do with all of this that's going on in my life. Let me tell you something. This fire in your life isn't there so that you can be defeated or destroyed or even discouraged. This fire is just a test to let you see if you'll dig down deep into God, trust His Word, obey His Word, love Him, and love others around you, and walk in the power of the Spirit of God, your faith is going to come out shining, not to your praise, not to your glory, and not to your honor, but to the praise and the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, God wants you to have such a genuine faith that when people see you come through the fire that you're inevitably going to walk through, and all of us will in one way or another, He wants them to look at you and say, there is no way they did that on their own. There is, I know them. There is no way that they have such love after what, there's no way that they have such peace. There's not, this has to be supernatural. This has to be something beyond them. them. This has to be faith to the praise and the honor of the glory of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, Whom having not seen, you love. And though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I've not seen Him with my physical eyes. I know there are some people who claim they've seen Jesus with their physical eyes. I'll leave that between them and God, but I know I haven't. But I love it. And I want to love him more. We sang that last song today, one line, and it always gets me. He's our everything. He's our everything. You see, somebody said a long time ago, and it's true, Jesus plus anything is heresy. It's false teaching. Jesus plus anything is false doctrine. If you have to add anything to what Jesus has done, anything to who Jesus is, for you to walk in spiritual victory and be devoted to God, you're in trouble. Jesus is everything. He's everything. And I haven't seen Him. You haven't seen Him, not with your physical eyes, but you love Him. And you don't see Him now. And I know there's nuances to that. We don't see Him physically. And sometimes you feel like you don't see Him at all. 
Sometimes you can't feel anything, and sometimes you can't hear anything, and sometimes you don't see anything, and sometimes you pray and it feels like things get worse instead of getting better. And, and, and sometimes you go to church and you're hoping so bad that you'll get a special feeling or whatever it is you want to call it, and, and instead of getting that special feeling, you walk out and you think, I didn't hear anything and I didn't catch anything and nothing, I didn't feel anything. And, and you don't see Him, but... Yet believing. Yet believing. Yet believing. Can I tell you what true faith is? True faith stands up and holds on to everything that God has promised when everything practically looks just the opposite. That's true, genuine faith. You see, anybody can have a kind of faith that stands up and shouts about how they believe God when they're feeling goosebumps running all up and down their back and everything in their life is pleasant and everything's going good and they just got ten answers to prayer this week and everything's great. But trust me, hang on a little while and you're going to have another kind of week. Now, if you came to church today and you're sitting there, man, I didn't come to hear that, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I've lived long enough to figure this out. You're going to have some of those weeks when it feels like it's been 10 years. It hadn't, but it's going to feel like it's been 10 years since you've had an answer to prayer. It's going to feel like it's been six years since you've heard anything from God. You've been reading the Scriptures every day, and you don't realize that you've been getting something out of it every day, but you just don't feel like you've been getting something out of it every day. And it feels like the heavens are brass, and everything's silent. You don't know what's going on. You see, real faith stands up and still believes God. Real faith doesn't change its confession when circumstances aren't the way you want them to be. Real faith stands and believes, though I haven't seen Him yet, believing i rejoice i rejoice i take joy rejoice means take joy i ain't got any reason to have any joy you don't have to joy is supernatural happiness is conditional joy is supernatural so i rejoice i take joy where do i take it from the presence of the lord the Bible says in His presence there is fullness of joy, and in His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I'm going to tell you something. Your world would turn around if you'd run into the presence of God more often. If you would rebuild that altar before God. I'm not talking about physical structure. But if we would go back and get back into that place where we are consistently spending time seeking God, I want you to stop for just a minute, just a moment. I want to ask you this question. I'm not trying to bring condemnation on anybody. I just want you to stop and think. How much time out of the week are you actually spending seeking God right now? I'm talking about you are you shut everything else off and you're praying and in God's Word, worshiping, just you and God. How much time are you spending? You don't, don't answer me. Don't raise your hand. Just think. Now, how much time are you spending watching the news? How much time are you spending on social media? How much time are you spending in other places? Now, if you don't have any peace right now and you're spending inordinate amounts of time on the one and so little time on the other, 
I've just diagnosed your problem. You don't have to like what I told you, but it is the truth. You need to shut that other stuff off for a while. I'm not saying you never watch the news and you don't know what, but you need to shut it off for a while, and you need to get in that prayer closet, and you need to seek God, and you need to be in God's Word, and you need to worship and thank Him for who He is. Why? Because it changes you. Because let me tell you something. God doesn't need to be changed. <laughs> he hadn't changed at all. We don't have to, oh, we just need to change and move the hand of God. You don't have to move the hand of God. God's hand is already open. It's been open ever since the, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We already live in the kingdom time of God. We already live in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but we're in the last days. We've been in the last days ever since the day of Pentecost, according to Scripture. None of that changes God. We don't need to change God. We need to change. And that only happens in the presence of God. So even though I don't see him, I believe and I rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy overflowing. So much joy that I can't contain it. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> so much joy I can't hold it in. Now I want to stop for just a minute because many times we read Scripture in a vacuum. Meaning that we think that, well, that was easy for the Apostle Peter to say because they must have had it easy in their day living Let's go back and let's look at when they lived. Rome ruled when they lived. The Roman emperor considered himself a god. And if you read a little bit about history, Roman rule was tough. I mean, they, they, had, they absolutely expected you were going to do what they told you to do, and if you didn't do what they told you to do the way they told you to do it, when they told you to do it, they weren't afraid to kill you for it. Not only that, but their religious system was corrupt. You don't, don't miss that Jesus was crucified because it was the Jewish religious system. It was the high priest who were threatened by his authenticity. So their Jewish system was corrupt. Their governor was a puppet governor put there by the hand of Rome. Taxation was terrible. The economy wasn't good. And it's in that environment that Peter says, even though I can't see him, <laughs> I believe him. And I rejoice with so much joy that I can't hold it in. Apostle Paul, from a Philippian prison cell, or, or from a Roman prison cell, writes the letter to the Philippians. And in it he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Guys, this word was written by people who have faced far more than any of us have ever faced yet. And yet, they lived with peace and joy. Don't you tell me that we can't have peace and joy. Don't you tell me that you can't. Well, I'm not, you, uh, you can tell me that I'm not walking in peace and joy. I can believe that because that's your choice. But don't you tell me that you can't walk in peace and joy because the Bible says you can and if I have to choose between believing you or me or believing the Bible, I'm going to believe the Bible every time. He said, I have joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. And then verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Notice that. The end of your faith. Not the beginning. The end. So we come to the altar or you, wherever you knelt down, wherever you were when you came to f saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
And we think that's the end of it. Hallelujah, I got it. Well, you did positionally receive. You're justified. You're made just as if you've never sinned. You're raised up together and made to set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus where we're blessed, the book of Ephesians says, with every spiritual blessing. Your life changes forever. But God's not finished with you yet. For the rest of our life on this planet, whether you live 50 years past your salvation or 100 years or 20 years or 5 or 1, the Holy Spirit works in you to sanctify you, to set you apart, to make you different than the world around you, to make you right, to, to make you practically look like who you already are positionally. And then at the end, we're not just justified and we're not just sanctified, but the Bible says that we're glorified. At the end, we receive the end of our faith, which is the full salvation. of our. Here's my point. As good as it is, and it's good, folks. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad I know the Lord. I, don't, I honestly don't know how people who don't know Jesus make it. I literally do not. I'm so glad I know the Lord. I'm so glad I have His Word. I'm so glad His Spirit resides within me. I, we could all sit here all day and just testify and talk about experience after experience and answer to prayer after answer to prayer and movement after movement, what God has done in each of our lives, and we could just be blessed all day long. It would be a good thing for you at least to do that every day and remind, remind yourself what God has done in your life. But here's the good news. <laughs> There's more to come. It's not over yet. God is still moving. Well, I don't know if God's going to be able to do anything now because, you know, I, I don't know if you've been watching the news lately, Pastor, but I, I don't know if God's going to be able to do anything now. I wish you would go talk to the church in China. Do you know where the largest real church in the world is at right now? It is not in America. It's in China. And they're underground. The real church is, not the state church. There's a state church and there's a real church. But the real church is underground. Serving God. You know where some of the greatest revivals on planet Earth are taking place right now? In Africa. And many of them in the midst of regimes where they have to face death every day. Do you know where you can see some of the most genuine faith exhibited in the world today? is in the Middle East. Where people are being persecuted for their faith and killed for their faith in Jesus. Don't you tell me, well, I don't think God can do anything now because, you know. I've got a question for you. Who's God then? Who's your God? Who's Lord? Who are we following? Who are we worshiping? Who are we bowing before? Who are we serving? I've got news for you. The one that I serve is still firmly seated on the throne in heaven. I've got news for you. The God that I serve hadn't changed one bit, and he's not going to change one bit, and therefore I can have peace and joy and strength and love. Well, life may get tough for you. Well, it might. I was never promised smooth sailing here. But I've got news for you. It doesn't change the fact that I have access to joy and the best is yet to come. And we'll close out with these last few verses because I don't want to leave this off. Verse 10 through 12 says this. He's talking about salvation now. This glorious gift that most of us take for granted. Let me just ask you this again. And again, I don't want hands raising. I just want you to think, when's the last time you stopped and took a few minutes to think about salvation itself and how blessed you are? that God allowed you to be a part of his eternal family. Wouldn't that, 
Oh, this gift of salvation, so glorious and free. It says, of this salvation, verse 10, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them, these Old Testament prophets, to them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us, the New Testament believer, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Old Testament prophets, you talk about Jeremiah and Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. The Bible says that the spirit of prophecy was on David, so we could add David to that group. Moses actually prophesied, so you could add Moses to that group. You could go back and you can look at all those Old Testament prophets. And they, the Bible says they knew that of some of what they were saying, they couldn't understand, when is this going to happen? Who is this for? Because as they prophesied, they looked at it and thought, this is glorious. This is wonderful. This is beyond description. Who gets to experience this wonderful, wonderful gift? And the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord let them know that they weren't prophesying for themselves or for their generation. They were prophesying for us who the end of all times has come upon. They're prophesied for us. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing to our day and to our time, and it doesn't end there. They're talking about this glorious gift of salvation that all of us has received. The Bible says that the prophets of old long to understand who gets to benefit from this unbelievable, indescribable gift of grace. But not only that, the Bible says that these are things that even angels desire to look into. Even angels stand in awe when they see grace at work. Even angels stand in awe at what God's doing in your life and mine. They look into it. It blows them away that God would love mankind so much that He would pay such an unbelievable sacrificial price so that in spite of our frailties and our failures, we could have the opportunity to come to know the King of kings and the Lord of lords and walk with God and be restored to what Adam and Eve had lost in the garden. And it costs something unbelievable. It costs the very blood of Jesus Christ so that we could have it. And the Bible says this gift of salvation that you have is so glorious that the prophets spoke about it, but they didn't get to receive it. And yet it was so glorious that they longed, they prayed that God would show them who would get to receive it. And and the angels themselves look into it. Listen, you don't realize what you have. I don't realize what I have. Every day that you get up and go about your business as a saved child of God, and you have the audacity to think that God's ignoring you or that God isn't doing what He ought to be doing for you, you don't realize the glory of the gift that you've already received. You've already received a gift that angels stand in awe of. You've been set free. <laughs> You've been saved. You've been born again. You've been forgiven. You've been restored to a right relationship with God the Father. You've been made whole. And if you haven't been, you can be. Today, in spite of every failure, every sin, 
every mistake you've ever made, you can be set free today. What a glorious, glorious gift. How could they have joy in the midst of the suffering? Because the gift was so fresh to them. You see, we've gotten so used to salvation. We've gotten so used to, to the things that surround Christianity in our generation. We don't realize these apostles, it was brand new to them. It was so revolutionarily different from everything that religion had been in their lives before. They recognized the difference. They, they gloried in the difference. It was so good that they could be free and have a right relationship with God outside of the realm of performance and religion that it didn't matter what was going on around them. They rejoiced anyway. Wouldn't it be great if we could recognize what a great salvation we have so that no matter what's going on around us we would never stop or let a day go by that we don't rejoice in this glorious gift of salvation guys one day and I hate to say it but I think it's true probably of all of us one day we're going to stand before the throne of heaven and we're going to be greatly disappointed that we never recognized just how much we already had. I think that every time we complained, and every time we, 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 we got upset about one thing or the other, I think we're going to look back from the portals of eternity and just realize what all we had all along. What a glorious gift of salvation. Could you forgive yourself? And even if you tried, would it do any good? What is the price tag you can put on forgiveness what is the price tag that you can put on peace what is the price tag that you can put on joy do you do you need a little peace right now aren't you glad you have a, a, access to it what is the price tag that you can put on that what is the price tag that you can put on deliverance some of you in this room have been set free from things that held your life in bondage and you could not get loose of it no matter how hard you tried. what is the price tag that you can put on that listen you don't realize what you have and I'm not just talking to you I don't realize what I have and one of the saddest things I think we'll ever do I, the Bible says one day God will wipe away every tear from their eyes I don't know all the reasons that those tears will be there and the glories of what heaven will be but it could just possibly be that one one of the reasons he has to wipe away tears would be because of the sorrow of us looking back and recognizing that there were so many times I had an opportunity to give glory and praise to God that I wasted it complaining. There were so many times I had an opportunity to just give thanks for who God is and I wasted it being bitter and resentful and angry over the last prayer that didn't get answered instead of being prayerfully thankful for the hundreds and hundreds of prayers that have been answered in my life. For all the times I've been impatient wondering why God you haven't moved now just to only see and move just in a day or so or, or a month or so or a year or so later in ways that I couldn't have even imagined. And for all the times that I thought God was failing me when I realized that God gave me something better than I could have ever imagined, that if I would have got what I thought that I needed, it would have been destructive, but God gave me something better than I could ever imagine. If I could ever go back and just recognize how good God has been, well, let's live our lives that way. This is a glorious gift. You don't have any reason to be discouraged, child of God. You don't have any reason to be disheartened. You don't have any reason to be bitter. You don't have any reason to be angry. You don't have any reason to be frustrated. Well, I do too. Not really. You don't deserve to be saved. Don't get mad at me. Neither do I. You don't deserve the presence of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit this morning when we were worshiping. I didn't deserve that. 
you don't deserve this book. How many times have you been rescued by going to this book and finding just the thing that you need? How you don't deserve that. Neither do I. Oh, how blessed we are, people of God. Oh, how good we have it, people of God. I know life can get hard and things can happen that we don't understand. But I've got great news for you today. There's nothing that ever happens that God doesn't understand. And there is nothing whatsoever that can move me from the place that I stand in faith in Christ. Therefore, I will not be discouraged, and I will not be dismayed. I'll close with a verse from John 14. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Don't let your heart be troubled. You have a great, glorious gift. Stir up the gift that is within you. Let it come forth. Live out of the abundance of the gift of the Spirit of God that resides within your heart as a believer. You don't need to make 150 resolutions. You just need to live out of that place of restoration, and you can change the world around you. But more importantly, you can walk in peace every day. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me this morning.